starting with Christmas Eve, having four sets of readings during the Christmas Eve, which are beautiful, a description of the, the whole event that took place, but also during this octave, every day in the gospel, we hear another aspect of the event itself, the historical event like today, we hear at the end, after the child of Jesus is born, ultimately Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple and they consecrate him, present him to the Lord and consecrate him to the Lord according to the customs. But we see in this event, there's something extraordinary, special, not only that they fulfill the responsibility of being good to Jewish parents, people of God, people of the covenant, but they also experience something extra. Concurrently, there's a, there's a priest named Simeon. And you know, it seems like completely out of this whole story, but yet the story is there because God in his providence touches people. It's not that only that he touched and overwhelm Our Lady with the grace to become the mother of the Son of God. Not only did he give the grace to Saint Joseph in a dream, do not, you know, do not let this, this woman go because he did not know how she became, uh, to became pregnant, but it's the Holy Spirit inspired him through the angel. It is, it is by the Holy Spirit that she conceived and we see the whole situation of shepherds. Shepherds were there, and they also receive, through the inspiration of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it has been revealed to them today. Today, in the city of David, a Savior is born. It's a joy, it's a day of joy, a day of fulfillment. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. But then we continue as God revealed something special to Simeon, which we hear today. You will not die until you'll see the Messiah, the Son of God, the Messiah. And so he's inspired to go to the temple and then he sees, and he sees Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. He takes it, takes the baby Jesus into his arms and blesses God, Lord, now, let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled because my eyes have seen the salvation. I've seen the, the Yeshua, the Savior. I have seen the Savior. And so, uh, which you prepared in the sight of every people, a light to the people of, of God, but also to the whole world. So we see in concurrently, we, we, there's a missing portion here uh, whereby we also hear of Anna, the prophetess Anna who is there too. And she's also moved by the Holy Spirit to come to the temple as well, to praise God, to honor him, to receive the blessings from the Son of God. But there's something special here too, the prophecy of Simeon. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, because people will accept him or reject him. He's a sign of contradiction, a sign of contradiction. John Paul wrote a beautiful work um, for 1976, before he became Pope, he gave a retreat to the Pope Paul VI and he wrote this work on sign of contradiction. How is Jesus the sign of contradiction for us today? In what way? 
Why do we consider him as someone to be opposed to many of the people of this earth want to reject him? Why? A sign of contradiction that prophetic words uttered by, by Simeon to the Blessed Mother. And then he also said to her, a, a sword will pierce through your heart, a sword of suffering. Again, prophetic utterance given to Simeon. But as we see, there's a historical dimension of the events that we kind of recall, go back, but it's also a significance of what took place, the significance. You know, the early church, I mentioned a couple of times, the early church, especially theologians, would say, why, why? Why did God become man? Why did he wish to become one of us? And you know, the last big work that was written on, on why did God become man, or, or as it's known in, in, in Latin, cur homo deus, was written by St. Anselm of Canterbury. And, and, and what he did is this, you know, he, he wrote that it is essential for us, incarnation is, is the belief that God became one of us, took our human form, why? Because he wanted to atone for our sins as being the atoning sacrifice. This is why divine mercy message is so powerful is because we speak of that Christ as being the atoning sacrifice, the one who offered himself, because we have sinned, we have sinned, and we cannot undo the sin. We can ask the Lord for forgiveness, but the, 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 the power by which we are transformed into being children of God again is by Christ's offering of himself. He is the atoning sacrifice. This is what we offer here at the Mass. Every time we celebrate Mass, we bring forth the gift of the Son of God who gave himself for us so that we may have life, that we may have forgiveness of sins. So he has, become, he has become the atoning sacrifice for us. We need it to be reconciled because no one, no human being can forgive sins. But there is also the other aspect of the why did God become one of us, why the incarnation, why Jesus became, and this is something also for us to remember. You know, as Christians, we have to know these things. Why? Not only that we celebrate Christmas and the lights go out and many of the decorations are already being removed and we have forgotten life is as it is and there's no change, and yet there is to be change because our hearts need to know the truth. And this is why part of, of the early church fathers, part of the early church teaching, and including St. Anselm, and even today, we have to meditate, we have to reflect why. So he needed to offer himself for the sins that we have committed, the evil that we have introduced, the evil that we have all around us, the hate, as John speaks, hate, you know, the indifference, the, the, the violence, all the things which are still there, because we don't em embrace him, we don't accept him, we don't accept him as our sacrificial gift. But secondly, the reason God became one of us is to reveal God's nature, in Jesus, we see the Father's love. In Jesus, we know the Father. We would not know the Father. We only knew from Old Testament prophetic utterances, but they're incomplete. They're only spoken in partial way. But we see the fullness of divinity of the Father in Jesus, his love, his care, his, his you know, miracles that he performed, you know, the forgiveness that he offered to those who are sinners, broken people ultimately taking the cross upon himself. This is the Father's love. So that in him we can love the Father 
Do we not be afraid of the Father? Do we not be afraid of God's providential care and his plans for us? So in Jesus, we see. So the incarnation was necessary so that we could see the face of God, hear the words of God in human way, in human nature by Jesus. And we can see the great love that God has given to us, that he became a servant of us. The Son of God becomes servant, slave for us. Who are we? We're broken. We're nobody. And yet, because we were made in God's image, the Lord wants to restore the image that we have destroyed or have wounded deeply by original sin by saying yes to the evil one, by cooperating with the evil one, questioning, doubting God, distrusting him, rejecting him, as there's something that's less important than something else. And this is why the revelation of the nature of God, <clears throat> the so important incarnation is seen as a way of God revealing himself in his nature, especially the Father, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus spoke of and he gave to the church, the revelation of God. Now, <clears throat> also a third element of why did God become man, not only to be atoning sacrifice and to, be, to show the manifest nature of God, but also to show us the example how to live. He's that principle, that moral teaching. Jesus' life and his teaching incarnated, and he wants us to follow him. This is the imitation of Christ. You know, the uh, Thomas Campus book, follow the Lord, imitate him how he was. By imitating him, by following him in his footsteps, we come to know more and more the depth and greatness of God's love for us and also our love for one another, that we are to pick up the cross for others, we are to carry it for others. You know, whether it's husbands or wives or children or parents or grandparents or people in political, you know, sphere, social teachings, everything else, it has profound meaning. The model, the exemplary, spiritual example for humanity to follow. So by living as a human being, Jesus demonstrated how to live a life of love, compassion, righteousness, mercy. How to live a life of honoring the Father, knowing that the Father is always there. Blessed are you, Father, Lord of glory, for you have revealed these things to the little ones. Because those who are wise think they know better. And so they reject. And yet we are to receive another one, another element. Why did he come here? is to defeat sin and, and death, because in him we can see, see life. He rose from the dead. He defeated sin. He defeated the ugliness of evil and, and has shown us life, defeated death. The incarnation means that God has overcome the powers of sin and death and that he's prepared us for all eternity, gives us hope, because with giving us uh, we're seeing the life beyond the grave. We can have hope, hope that's in store for us. So these are some of the reasons why, why we, we honor the Lord. Why do we celebrate this incarnation of the Lord? Why we celebrate Christmas? And so this is the meaning that is to be with us, gratitude that is to flow for us, from us, for the, for the Lord, knowing him. That's why we cannot just set him aside as being less important, following some other ideologies or philosophies that seem to explain something to us. 
Not that there's no, nothing good in it, but it's incomplete, greatly incomplete. Greatly. And we have the fullness of truth in Jesus. And so, so this is why, and this is why John's letter today basically says, if you say that you are a follower of Christ, if you say that you are you're faithful to him, yet you hate your brother, then you're a liar. Very simple. I mean, John doesn't mix, mix words. I mean, he just basically shoots from the hip. He says, look, if you, if you say that you are a lover of Christ, a lover of God, and you hate your brother, then what's, what's the good? And secondly, in order for you, as John says, to really love God and, 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 and people, then follow the commandments, follow the teachings, follow the teachings of the new commandment. May your love be so complete for God. Love, your, love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your abilities, and then love each other as I have loved them. And that Christ has manifested love. And this is how we can remain in the light rather than in darkness. Because whoever loves his brother remains in the light, and there's nothing in him to cause a fall. So the commandment of love. And finally today, just briefly, you know, we honor Thomas Beckett. We are maybe more familiar with Thomas More, another Thomas, King Henry and Thomas. Thomas More, King Henry VIII, and Thomas More. But if we go back to 1100s in England, we have Thomas Beckett and Henry II. And, and you know, it is interesting how, who this man is. You know, I kind of briefly look into you know, history. He was born in London in 1118, so we're talking about 900 years ago. So he was born in London, very learned and worldly man. That's why he was a very close friend of King Henry, kind of worldly, both of them were worldly. But then what happened to him? He goes and he becomes, studies theology, becomes a deacon, becomes priest. And so Henry wants him to be his chancellor, someone who is brilliant, who can talk, you know, he can you know, challenge people, challenge the church, whatever it may be. But Thomas Beckett becomes a bishop and something happens to him. He realizes that he is an apostle of the Lord. His worldly ways can't, can be the only way enjoying life, enjoying the privileges of the king, being the chancellor. Something happens. He goes through a profound conversion, and he realizes that he can't just say yes to the king and, and give rationales and ju justifications for all his actions. And King Henry VIII wanted to challenge the church in many ways. He didn't want to have, he didn't want to have a priest or being independent under the pope. He wanted to have them, just like ultimately King Henry VIII made it sure that no priest would ever be under the pope, would be under the king. But this is, you were talking about 400 years before that. And so, the, so King Henry II wanted to do the same. And, and it was Thomas Beckett who says, no, I can't. At first, he wanted to be kind of reconciled with, with the king, and so he approved, momentarily approved the constitutions of Clarendon which would have denied the, the clergy the right of trial by a church. So that means that everything will be under king, uh, everything will be under uh, court, and so there will be no more 
making direct appeals to the Holy Father. You know, said that's what he wanted to do. As I said, this came back later, you know, 400 years later, and, and so King Henry VIII made sure it was. Now, but then he said, no, it's not possible, not possible. I have to live my conscience. And so he lived his conscience, and, and so he was forced, he was forced to flee England. He went to, to France, and they stayed there for over six years. But then he realized he has to give witness to the people. And so he came back to England knowing that most likely he'll be assassinated. But he, he embraced this. And so because Thomas refused to remit, remit censures against certain bishops who were cooperating with, with, the, with, with the king, uh, the king was so furious. And in a rage, he says, and this is, quote, will no one rid me of this troublesome priest? Will no one rid me? Four knights, inspired by these careless words of the king, taking these words as his wish, assassinated Thomas in the, in the Canterbury Cathedral on the 29th of December, 1170. But people acknowledge him that he was truly a man of God. And so immediately he was acknowledged as a martyr. And then it kind of forced the king to do penance in regret to what he did. And, and uh, then he ultimately, he financed the church in his honor and did many things for him. That's why Christ came to this earth, because he wants us to live the truth, to live the truth. Live the truth that he is the one who's the atoning sacrifice. He's the one who has brought us near to God. In him, we're already saved. We're already in the presence of the Holy Trinity, in him. He embraced our human nature. He's the one who is leading us every day. Every day is Christmas because the incarnation is not only has taken place in time, but it's taking place in all eternity. For God, there's no time. Just like his salvation, his atoning sacrifice is always valid, always pouring forth, always the rays of love come to us, the rays of purification of water and rays of blood, you know, the, the image from the divine mercy. They're always coming to us. They're always reviving us, purifying us, cleansing us. And this is why Christmas and the story of Christmas should be always with us. St. Faustina said that every time she received Holy Communion, she spoke of a new incarnation was taking place in my heart. New incarnation, Christ became alive again in me, sacramentally, he came into my heart. And she would say, I can't wait for tomorrow so he can come back again to me, that every day of my life that I may receive him, welcome him. Our difficult times today is that we don't really remember anything. We have such poor memory. We're forgetting, we're thinking of things of today. We're worried about tomorrow. We're worried about everything. And yet we're forgetting that he's with us that he will never abandon us, that we, our victory has already been secure. Our hope of glory is waiting for us. It's ready there, set aside. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. I have prepared them for you. You'll be with me in paradise for all eternity. And this is why his coming is so important, that we would live 
the mystery of his incarnation each day. May we be united with him and look forward into the future, the future that God has prepared for us in his paradise. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.